Good morning, good uh, afternoon, good evening, or good night, wherever you are around the globe. And I would like to greet you with a warm welcome to this ESOCOS webinar series presentation on osteotomy around the knee, a powerful tool for joint preservation. My name is Carl Eriksson. I work with ESACOS as chair of the Knee Sports and Preservation Committee, and I will be one of our four moderators for today's webinar, which will be recorded and made available on ESACOS Global Link. We would like to take a moment to extend a thank you to our webinar sponsor, New Clip. Now, I would like to introduce you to our uh, webinar moderators for today. And we are fortunate to have Dr. Andy Williams from the UK as a co-chair. And then we have an expert panel with two expert panelists, Dr. Lisa Arendt from Minnesota and Dr. Volker Musal from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. With that, uh, let's have Andy Williams introduce our faculty and presentation topics. Andy, please. Thank you very much indeed, Carl. It's a huge pleasure to be here. Um, most of the speakers will be very well known to you, if not all of them, and therefore I won't waste time with long introductions. So with no further ado, it's a great pleasure to welcome and introduce Tim Lording, who organised the meeting, and he's based in Melbourne in Australia. Tim, thank you. Uh, thanks, Andy. Just, get my, just give me a moment to get this uh, presentation working. Okay, I take it that's up now. Yeah. Okay, well, good, good evening. It's good evening from us here in Melbourne. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about indications for osteotomies around the knee. Uh, these are my disclosures. So osteotomies around the knee were once a real bread and butter orthopedic procedure, but with improvements in um, both the technology and the techniques of arthroplasty, uh, their, decline, their, their, their use really declined. And by the time I was going through training, you'd really consider them to be one of the lost and dark arts of orthopedics. I can't advance. Oh, here we go. Um, however, during my fellowship training and beyond, I've come to realise that uh, osteotomies around the knee is a really versatile procedure with uh, many applications in the treatment of osteoarthritis and overload, uh, instability, and also as part of biological joint restoration procedures. So if we consider first the indication of osteotomy for osteoarthritis, and if we look at the typical model of the various knee with medial compartment disease, um, in the monopodal state phase of gait, there's an offset or lever arm between the knee and the ground reaction force, which creates an adduction moment at the knee. And this moment increases with increasing valgus deformity. Um, and in the simplest of terms, what this means is that the more various alignment you have, the more load you have going through your medial compartment. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing to be in varus, and there's some areas of, humor endeavor, in, of human endeavor where being varus seems to be a distinct advantage. But once you have a chondral injury that introduces cartilage loss or a meniscus injury that increases your cartilage forces, we get into this sort of um, uh, vicious cycle where increased cartilage loss leads to increased malalignment, leads to an increased adduction moment, leads to increased forces, and around and around we go. So the purpose of an osteotomy in this setting is to reduce this lever arm, reduce the knee adduction moment, reduce the rate at which the cartilage degenerates and extend the life of the knee, but also reduce the symptoms. There's been many uh, publications of indications and contraindications to uh, osteotomies for this pur purpose um, published through the years, some of them dating back 40 or 50 years. 
But given that this is a webinar for the ISACOS Knee Preservation Committee, I thought a good starting point would be the, uh, these uh, consensus uh, statement that came from the Knee Committee when it was won by Dr. Rand and um, Philip Naray, who was my fellowship supervisor a few years ago. And they divided their indications into the ideal candidate, the possible candidate or the extended indications, and then those not suited for osteotomy. The ideal candidate was felt to be someone with pain isolated to the radiologically affected compartment. They're aged 40 to 60 years old, uh, not overweight, BMI less than 30, high physical demands, but no running or jumping or higher impact activities. Male alignment should be less than 15 degrees. Full range of motion was ideal. They should have normal contralateral uh, compartment and patellofemoral joint. Uh, joint space loss was okay as long as there was no bone erosion. Uh, normal ligament balance and a non-smoker. And importantly, some level of pain tolerance. And I think this is quite important because uh, an osteotomy is not necessarily an operation which is going to completely relieve your pain. It's likely to significantly improve your pain. And one analogy I use for the patients is that it's a bit like uh, rotating the set of tyres that you've got to try and get a few miles more miles out of them rather than a brand new set of tyres. Uh, when we looked at their possible uh, indications or their uh, uh, possible contra uh, relative contraindications, these included patients that were a little bit older or a bit younger, patients wishing to do all sports, including impact activities, uh, those with a degree of flexion, contracture or symptomatic patellofemoral osteoarthritis, um, ACL, PCL or postlateral corner insufficiency was deemed a relative contraindication, uh, provided it could be addressed at the time of surgery. And previous infection was also considered a possible indication. And interestingly, I think, and we'll talk about this later on, uh, these ligament instabilities are probably less of a concern now. Lastly, the group who were not suited. Now, these were the obese patients, uh, patients with fixed flexion contractures, uh, bicompartmental arthritis. So if you were doing a, a medial opening wedge, if your lateral compartment already had established arthritis or it had a metastectomy, they were considered contraindicated. And I think overall, this is a pretty comprehensive uh, group of indications or, and uh, contraindications, although most of us would add uh, inflammatory arthropathy, arthropathy as a contraindication, contraindication to high tibial osteotomy. Uh, I was a fellow at Fowler Kennedy in London, which is a well-known centre for osteotomy in North America. And one other lesson I was taught while I was there that was that the, the older the patient that you're dealing with, really the stricter you need to be in your indications if you want to get a good outcome. Whereas in younger patients, uh, we may be inclined to accept, or indeed we may be forced to accept uh, less than ideal indications when there are really no better options for treatment for these patients. Considering osteotomies for instability, obviously in patellofemoral instability, osteotomies are uh, well understood. Um, tibial tubercle osteotomies are not uncommon and Seth Sherman's gonna to talk to us about that later on in the program. But valgus corrections, derotational osteotomies, and trochleoplasties also have a role in the management of this condition. But rather, I'd like to talk more about coronal plane alignment and its, its uh, uh, interplay with uh, collateral ligament instability, particularly in the posterolateral corner, and the role of tibial slope in cruciate instability. And these are areas where we've been making uh, more progress in recent years. So if we consider this image again, we understand that malalignment is disadvantageous for cartilage lesions on the compression side, but also equally for ligament lesions on the tension side. And this is analogous to the attention band wire construct that we're all familiar with from our tra trauma training. If we consider this uh, uh, figure here to be a, a varus knee, a 
postural corner, ligament or a reconstruction is going to be under significant tension uh, in, a, in various malalignment. So we understand how we can offload these uh, ligaments with osteotomies, but the question is, uh, when is it indicated? Uh, in acute injury, I think it would be very rare to propose an osteotomy for a collateral ligament injury, um, and perhaps there might be some role in extreme malalignment. But in revision surgery, I think we should certainly be considering the alignment and correcting where appropriate. Uh, in a similar way to when we do uh, anterior cruciate ligament uh, revision reconstruction, we really need to consider and optimise the biomechanical factors if we're going to have success in a second time around. And in chronic lesions where the secondary stabilisers have attenuated over time, I think again, a, a single ligament reconstruction is going to be under increased uh, forces and strain and is more likely to fail. Uh, and we should consider osteotomy in these cases. And because I like to keep things relatively simple, in my mind, I group revision surgery and chronic lesions together as failure of previous management. Um, so failure of operative management or failure of non-operative management. In both of these cases, I think osteotomy should be considered. And it's been shown that osteotomy in these circumstances can be very powerful. Um, in this study of 21 patients with chronic postlateral corner injuries and uh, various malalignment, uh, after osteotomy, uh, almost 40% of them did not require their subsequent second stage uh, ligament surgery. When we talk about cruciate instability, we're really talking about the tibial slope. Uh, it was the work of the French uh, in the 90s who uh, first highlighted that increased posterior slope uh, led to increased anterior tibial translation under load. And in recent years, there's been a lot of work looking at uh, the uh, relevance of tibial slope as a risk factor for uh, ACL injury and ACL re-injury. I think biomechanically, I don't know what it's like in all the other countries around the world, but in Australia, our colleagues tend to rubbish the orthopaedic surgeons as not being too smart. But I think even we can understand that things tend to slide downhill and the steeper the hill, the more likely it is to slide down more quickly. Tibial slope is, of course, modifiable by osteotomy, but it's a pretty big thing to do. And the question is, what is the threshold for intervention here? Um, that the magnitude of slope has been discussed and the work of uh, Justin Webb working with Justin Rowe in Sydney would suggest that uh, slope in excess of 12 degrees is a risk factor for both ACL injury and re-injury. Tim, we're You could wind up, please. Okay, sorry. The next question is whether uh, primary revision or re-revision, uh, and certainly uh, the work of uh, Bertrand and David Dujour uh, has been looking at the role in re-revision. So just quickly, the last indication is in biological joint restoration. So obviously there's more advanced techniques, including uh, osteochondrial grafting and cartilage repair, meniscus repair. These operations need an optimal biomechanical environment. Um, and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that they do better in neutral alignment, whether that's natural or achieved with osteotomy than in a mal-aligned uh, mal circumstance. So in conclusion, osteotomy is a versatile and powerful technique in knee surgery. Uh, the primary indication is malalignment in the younger arthritic patient, and we'll see an increase in demand in coming years. Uh, but it also has an important role in the management of complex ligament instability and as an adjunct in biological joint restoration. Thank you. Thank you. Tim, for an excellent uh, overview, and thank you for uh, being a big part of organizing this webinar. So uh, next speaker in this dream team of speakers in terms of osteotomy is Dr. Jeffrey Macalena from the United States, who will speak about planning an osteotomy. Please, uh, Jeffrey. Well, thank you to uh, Isakos and the, uh, for putting on this webinar and for including me in it. It's a great, uh, 
group to be a part of. So we're going to talk about planning out an osteotomy today. And as I, uh, I have no financial disclosures, as I was uh, planning out this talk, the, um, you know, I think I, I was drawn to this um, comparison between these two great explorers who explored the South Pole during their uh, 1911 South Pole expedition. And um, I think there's an interesting comparison between the two. So uh, Roald Amundsen, the Norwegian explorer who was ultimately successful of reaching the South Pole, uh, planned his expedition to great uh, lengths, taking over 50 dogs, five men, and three tons of supplies. Contrasting to that was Robert Falk and Scott's um, ultimately failed expedition who, and on his expedition, he took over 17 men and only one ton of supplies. And uh, Roald Amundsen said, victory awaits him who has everything in order. Luck, people will call it. But defeat is certain for him who has neglected to take the necessary precautions in time. And this is called bad luck. And I think it's an important um, uh, comparison to be, to be uh, aware of, and it highlights the importance of detailed planning. And, and osteotomy certainly uh, requires planning. So today we're going to talk about why, how, and then um, plan, and then a little, just a quick slide on navigation at the end. But I think it's important to understand and to know why you're uh, performing an osteotomy. I think that's really one of the first things that you need to do, as Tim discussed. So the, really the main reasons are to unload the disease compartment to, for correction of a prior deformity or for chondral or ligament protection. And I think that's important. And as I'm discussing specifically now, coronal plane correction, but if you're doing an osteotomy for arthritis, for osteoarthritis or wear of a compartment, there really is probably a role for overcorrecting that osteotomy even past neutral into the, uh, into the uh, opposite compartment. I think in the setting of ligament or chondral protection, cartilage reconstruction, deformity correction, or in the setting of lateral compartment disease, completing your osteotomy to neutral is probably satisfactory. I, I, one of the big dis discussion points and decisions that you have to make when you plan an osteotomy is whether you're gonna choose an opening or closing wedge osteotomy. These are really the two um, workhorse types of osteotomies that we have. And we're gonna have some specific talks on that later. So I don't wanna take, take their time either. But um, in general, when we decide between the two, the benefits of an opening osteotomy is it's only one cut and there is flexibility in dialing in that correction. The consequence is obviously delayed healing across the osteotomy site. Similarly, closing wedge osteotomies are beneficial for a stable construct, potentially improved healing, though it can be a little bit more surgically complex. So when we go to planning out our osteotomy, um, these are kind of the steps that we're going to go through to plan it out. The, the uh, first step, and I labeled it here step zero, is to obtain standing alignment film. But I think it's absolutely paramount that you have complete six-foot standing alignment films to show the entire lower extremities to plan out your osteotomy. The, I'm surprised at the number of patients that are ultimately referred to me or who have received an initial opinion uh, from another surgeon that did not have standing alignment films. The next step is to measure the width of the tibial plateau. And for a valgus producing osteotomy, for example, in this case, the tibia, choosing that 
point, 62.5% across the tibial plateau from medial to lateral is desirable. And you can see that on the picture there. A good, um, a good estimate is on the downslope of the lateral tibial spine. I think that's a good uh, target. Now, again, if you're doing a femoral osteotomy or a varus producing osteotomy, probably doing it to neutral is fine. But to unload the medial compartment, for example, in this x-ray here, going to that 62.5% mark that Dr. Fujisawa described is desirable. Draw, after that, you draw a line from the center of the femur to the proposed point on the femoral side and the same thing on the ankle side. And I'm gonna to try to show that in a, in a case example because I think it might help cement that home. So step one on the far left side of the screen, obtain standing alignment films. Measure across the width of the tibia. As you see here, we measured it at 82 millimeters. 62.5% of that gives us 51 millimeters. And so you can see there we've measured across 51 millimeters with our desired point here on the downslope of the lateral spine. So how do we make our lines? Starting on the left side of the screen and working to the right. So first, the mechanical axis of the lower extremity from the center of the femoral head to the center of the ankle joint shows this patient is clearly in varus. This patient had come to me after two prior failed meniscectomies. Moving across, we draw a line from the center of the femoral head to that desired osteotomy point, and then have the lines cross as seen in the middle picture. By doing that, we create an angle between the two lines, which I've marked A for angle here in the fourth picture. Now, I think an important little check is, if you, if you can go back later and you can measure proximally up the femur, the width of the, uh, the, width of the tibial plateau, in this case, 82 millimeters, and you can measure the distance between the lines, it gives you a rough amount of opening in millimeters that your osteotomy will need. So as uh, this patient I performed an osteotomy on, you see we've got them out of neutral. They've gone on to definitive union and um, hopefully they'll do very well. Now, one of the benefits of uh, this, is, this uh, talk is really, this part of the talk is really about coronal plane correction for distal femoral and tibial osteotomies. But that same technique that I just described is useful for tibial opening wedge osteotomies, tibial closing wedge osteotomies, as well as coronal plane corrections from the distal femur. And these are both well-reviewed in um, journals of the Academy of Orthopedic Surgery in 2011 and 2018, uh, if you'd like to look at it in more detail. Now, it should be noted that uh, you can also plan out an osteotomy for both the, for tibial tubercle osteotomies and try to determine in advance how much medialization as well as how much distalization is necessary to correct a patient's patella alta. I use the Caton de Champs index when doing that as it's not dependent on the position of the tibial tubercle. Similarly, for a closing wedge osteotomy of the tibia, as uh, Tim Lording was just discussing, um, it's an approximately a one millimeter per one degree correction when you remove your wedge from the anterior cortex of the tibia. As I said, I wanted to mention at least this concept of uh, navigation. And I think that at, just as in knee replacement surgery, there has become an increasing interest in utilizing navigation for osteotomy surgery as well. Currently, it is not the standard of care in my hospital or in the community in which I practice. I don't think it's the standard of care in the, certainly in the Midwest portion of the United States. I look forward to hearing what some of the other panelists 
from around the world say about use of navigation in their communities. Meta-analyses have shown improvement and, uh, in mechanical access and less alteration to the tibial slope when navigation is used. They've also shown good clinical scores, but as of today, no significant difference.